So we kind of talked about pre-George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, mm-hmm. Ahmaud, Aubrey. Um, we talked about how I felt during and, and just kind of how real that all made it. And and I was depressed for a while. I, as, as a creative person, I couldn't quite focus. I couldn't mm. um, be present and interact with my audience in a way. Um, so I, I chose to speak up. I, I On my platforms, I historically have not been one to speak on political things mm-hmm. or um, I'll even avoid certain topics just mm-hmm. in interest of keeping things neutral. But I, I realized that I had an opportunity to speak my truth and share mm-hmm. my story mm-hmm. and, and do so at perhaps some risk um, of offending people. But you know, I'm going to speak my truth and this is my mm-hmm. life. I'm a black man yeah. in the United States and this is my experience. And Welcome to the Face Transition Podcast. In this episode, I have designer Spencer Nugent back on the show for the second part of the previous episode. We discuss how he navigated the collective trauma following the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmoud Arbery, and the many others. We continue to explore his lived experience as a Black man in America. Spencer is hopeful that change for the better can happen, but there is a need for acknowledgement that has to precede the needed changes. I hope you enjoy this episode and choose to stand with those who demand accountability and proper a proper course of actions from the leaders of this country. I was thinking earlier that I'm glad that some time has passed a little bit, you know, since George Floyd and whatnot, that we've all been able to get our emotions a little bit down. Um, Because I know for myself, like I was in a really, really bad state (laughs) for quite a while. (laughs) And, uh, but, you know, as you know, you can, you can go on like that, but it's important to also acknowledge, right, the feelings and whatnot. So. I want to ask you, you know, when did you start kind of paying attention, you know, whether it was when you were a member or after when you were starting to pay attention to these tension that are here? Because it's easy to, and, and you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but when you're like kind of in the Mormon bubble or whatever, having a lot of Caucasian friends to not pay attention, at least that's a bit my experience, you know, pay attention or... Um, the right amount of attention to to what other people are struggling with because yeah, you're I comfortable think... in your you comfortable where you're at right you you have your friends you're accepted you don't you know live it and so it's for me at least i feel like i didn't give as much attention to these issues until after i left and until i you know started really opening up to what's out there and and asking questions as to why this is happening why people are upset you know and looking at the events and and some doing some digging not just going with what the media shows i think i I think i mentioned this aspirational quality to mormonism and how you almost want to be part of the in crowd so much that you surrender your own culture and identity in in effect to uh i'm trying to think of how to say this but maybe be white you know and you 
at least I found that I was lost in the sauce, so to speak. I would um, sit quite comfortably with uh, white people and and even being in Utah uh, geographically and uh, sociologically speaking, you you may not come across um, these things in as direct, violent, or um, impactful of a way. And by these things, I mean uh, racial issues. It tends to be tends to be much more subtle. Um, it tends to come to you with a smile. <laughs> it tends to um, you know be be welcoming and warm, and then before you realize it, you're you're kind of in in your own little hell, so to speak. But that being said, it it took me some time to wake up and see the issues at hand. Um, it actually wasn't until I left the church and I met a friend of mine um, from South Africa, interestingly enough, who he and I shared a lot of similar experiences. Meaning, we both uh, joined the Mormon Church. Um, in our respective countries and came here uh, almost living the Mormon American dream. Mm-hmm. So um, he, I'm, I'm going to ask you, he was black too, because I mean, there's yeah, he black, is black and white people should, in South I Africa. Should, so. I should clarify. Yeah. He yes. Is, uh, because it could be he's, both. Yeah. He's from the Osa tribe. I think I nice. said that. I think I said nice. that. Okay. Osa. Yeah. Um, and uh, I can't quite say his name properly, so I'm not going to try, but. Okay. Okay. <laughs> No worries. But uh, yeah, he, he, he. I remember he has a couple of clicks in it, or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got, a, he's got, a, he's got a click. I think it's uh, Mangaliso, Ombati, something like that. Anyhow, but he's got mm-hmm. like a, he's got a few other names, names in there. Um, anyhow, so it wasn't until we sat down, and mind you, this this friend of mine, I met him when. I, I the, the Mormon church had sent a film crew out to do this thing called I'm a Mormon at the time. And mm-hmm. so I'd, I'd recorded an I'm a Mormon video and he had seen that, reached out and was like, hey, you know, uh, happy to meet a successful black Mormon. Let's connect. So we became friends over the years. And then after I left the church and discovered that his uh, his own faith transition was happening, so to speak. Huh. Interesting. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna look for that video. <laughs> I I actually requested they take it down. I'll, I'd really? have to send you wow. a pers- I'd have to send you a personal link for you to watch. No, it, it would have been interesting to see, but um, yeah, that I mean that's you know being true to yourself to not yeah, want to. Yeah. I sent I sent them a link and requested nice. them to take that down. So, oh, okay. Okay. Um, anyhow, so he he saw that video. We connected, and I remember sitting down with him one day. And he kind of gave me a quick list, a quick lesson, so to speak, on Black history. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that for me was just profound and illuminating. Mm. And I, it was kind of the beginning of, of change for me, so to speak. And I was able to just see, I guess, how messed up things were here in the United States. And before was, then you were kind of not paying too much attention or yeah, i wasn't exactly. i wasn't paying attention i wasn't focusing on that um it wasn't i i felt and again this will sound maybe maybe a bit off but i didn't i think being mormon black and having that aspirational mindset i didn't really feel quote-unquote with it i didn't mm-hmm. really feel like i was part of what it is to be black here but despite my experiences where I realized I was black and I realized that to normal people, to white people um, or the majority here, I, it didn't matter where I came from, 
right? It didn't mm-hmm. matter that I came from Jamaica. It didn't matter that I was educated. None of that mattered. They just saw me as a black person. So that being said, um, it wasn't then I realized in a combination of the conversations we would have and the history that he was able to teach. And I, I still don't claim to be really uh, with it when it comes to history and historical things, particularly here in the United States, um, mm-hmm. civil rights movement, all that. I'm still learning. I'm still um, realizing things. But like I said, being here now and having uh, taken the oath of citizenship, I'm now, uh, in effect, part of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm part of the history that will be made, but also it's my responsibility to understand that history as well. So mm-hmm. it's it's been a journey. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. Um, it's interesting how you say a couple of things. Um, I don't know if you say exactly saying wanting to be white and so not paying attention uh, when you were still in the church um, or how he saw you. Like, tell me if I'm wrong. Like, yeah, I think I think that was my own mentality and psychology. Um, I think, I think that's just that was my subconscious desire, frankly. And mm. I, I feel as though I have friends and and family who uh, that resonates with, resonates mm. with them. They they, they understand what, what they understand. Yeah, they understand what that means. That internalized racism yeah. that downplaying of your own culture um, and maybe even to the point of disdain um, Mm. that you kind of have to work through because yeah when you're when you're taught that essentially white is right and white is good and white is clean and all these things like it it makes you on a level made me anyways on a level i shouldn't say you (laughs) made me well yeah because that's something that's like like almost intrinsically or I don't know how to explain like I've, I've always from my core rejected that and so it's 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 hard for me to like when I say it's hard for me to understand I I haven't lived it so you know I can't relate I can see how um, that could happen but I also don't fully understand it because I guess you know again you had more members of the church who were your family members for me it was my mother right Mm. Uh, and then everybody else wasn't and so there was that kind of proud African you know descent and you know that was always instilled from the time I'm you know I can remember and um, also I've never and, and that you're not the first one who who said that but like here in America like I've heard a lot of that and even I've been told myself like oh you're trying to be white or you acting white and I I never could understand that because it's like what does that mean I mean maybe here because it's like what because I'm not from the ghetto or what you know because you you are what what the place you were born and your culture made you and it's not a color thing it's it to me it's a it's a societal thing it's you know what I mean like because even in Belgium Mm -hmm. um it's not like I was you know always with either Africans or or, or white I mean it wasn't even a thing and so for me to hear that sometimes I have a I have a hard time and I hear it you know in movies and you know because you know and and yeah it's it's a very and I get that you know totally the Mormon culture swallowed me right when I wasn't it I was completely swallowed by that and that was my identity and now I see, of course, I see that it's definitely, you know, uh, geared towards white people and all the undertoning, the undertone racism. In fact, 
I'm about to do another podcast with some people who want to talk about the, the essay. I mean, it's just like saying, you know, Bar Barack Obama sounds white because, you know, he speaks well. You know, to me, that's offensive, you know, to, to associate educated and, you know, speaking without, you know, using slang and stuff like that to being white. Like, I mean, they don't own that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like... No, they, they don't. <laughs> um, I, I agree. I, uh, I have a few online properties and I'm interacting with people and um, I've at times received criticism because even though I appear black, I quote unquote, don't uh, necessarily act black according to them. Um, and that's something I've thought about because what is blackness really, if not mm -hmm. who we are? Right. And that's agreeing with that whole theory of if you don't sound a certain way, then you're not that. I mean, to me, it's like, no, just let's get rid of all these boxes and borders and, you know, because nobody owns it. Like not a white person, not a black yeah. person, not a Chinese or Japanese. Nobody owns being, you know, uh, eloquent or smart or, you know, it's, it's not owned by a race. It's how people are or are not, you know. And, and again, in your case, it's, it's very different because it's you internalize from literally childhood the the things that you heard about whiteness and which are in the book of mormon you, you you took it in and you internalized it which is super sad it does it doesn't make room for your own culture identity it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily support and uh, promote the expression of culture in mm -hmm. their meetings worship service or make accommodations for it so yeah it is difficult mm -hmm. on a level especially when that's all you know um coupling that with i think um, at least culturally at the time in Jamaica, what was a, an American mindset in terms of, mm. hey, you know, the, the high school I went to, we wanted to go to American colleges. Okay, okay, part. okay. Um, some wanted to go to other universities as well, right. but there was right. kind of this American mindset, if you will. Right. So, that, that's the better way. Like the American way is the better way. Yeah. Um, yeah type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which isn't necessarily true there's certainly been opportunities here that i've had that i'm grateful yeah for, but doesn't mean yeah. that this is the uh, gold standard of life in the world going back to the idea of blackness though it's something that i've i've struggled with here um because i don't feel like i even fit in with mm. what would be considered to be mainstream blackness and african-american i have, I have yeah. been yeah i have been criticized for how mm -hmm. i speak and how i act and carry myself and Hey, you know, and, are you with yes. it? Are you not with it? But Yes. And that to me is also hard. And I can totally relate to that um, being seen an, as another, but I've accepted it because I am an other. I, I'm not African-American, but at the same time, I mean, I, I kind of demand the same respect that I give them, you know, yeah. I, I respect them a hundred percent and I, I demand to be respected a hundred percent, even if my experience is not exactly the same <laughs> no i agree i agree regardless i am still gonna be speaking up speaking out louder for african-americans than not that regardless of that you know let it be clear yeah i will <laughs> but, too i will but um this idea of blackness and what it is 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 something that and my sister and i have talked about this as well at length um black is black is a uh, I forget how she says it, but there's a quote by Denzel Washington. Um, black is who I am, not what I am, or something along those mm -hmm. lines. In, in other words, I am black inherently based mm -hmm. on who I am. I don't have to act a certain way, be a certain thing. Um, mm -hmm. That's just that's just me. And so there, black, I agree. My I blackness agree is different from yours, and it may be different yeah. from others, but it doesn't 
mean that it's a I'm, personal thing yes yeah yeah exactly mm-hmm. i like that it saddens me like and i'm trying you know not to say that that's all i'm talking about and of course with everything that just happened it brings up more of it yeah but honestly it, this is the only country where we i talk so much about skin color and race and stuff like that you know otherwise it's just not a conversation as much <laughs> yeah i i i will agree with you there that um well on two counts one i think it is necessary to talk about it here too yeah in the grand scheme of things it is unusual mm. but we have to talk about it otherwise uh, people become comfortable yeah i think so i think so i i, I have these conversations sometimes with people and they're like why do you why do you talk about race so much or why are you bringing this up you know and i i like to think that in life whenever we're uncomfortable with a certain situation or topic um there's something to learn there <laughs> and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's what mm-hmm. i tell my white friends you know hey mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. what's what's so uncomfortable about this for you right now i don't i don't see color or i don't yep, this yep. Like, okay okay <laughs> that's, that's now the, we can have a conversation yes yeah blanket <laughs> answers how have you i mean do you feel like you're the same like before and after you know the, the george floyd um murder happened like where were you at before and going through that and after and like let's say now yeah i think i think to answer that one i've got to go even further back you know there was trayvon martin you mm-hmm, michael, mm-hmm. michael brown you had uh i'm terrible with names but no i know um, there was oh shoot the brother in new york who was in the chokehold um yeah. selling selling loose cigarettes um yeah i'm terrible i'm terrible with names my apologies everyone but those those events happen and, and many others in between whether it was traffic stops um there was that couple who uh the black couple he had a concealed carry permit yes, yes. Mm-hmm. weapon wasn't being aggressive to the cops but they just took him out right there you know mm-hmm. and so these these things happen and for a bit i felt maybe distant like you talk about feeling comfort in in your white bubble or uh, area um i certainly did at least i feel like i did on the level because a lot of these um and i don't say this to sound heartless or inconsiderate but it just wasn't as impactful for me because at the time i felt like this 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 is far away you know this is unfortunate but it's far away and i wasn't quite paying as much attention i wasn't aware of circumstances as much trayvon martin happened of course that one was impactful for sure um but then fast forward to this year and i'm not quite sure if it was the fact that we're all um having to live in this existential Mm -hmm. uh, magnifying glass of Mm -hmm. pandemic Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. being alone with ourselves being perhaps more thoughtful and aware um it's probably a combination of things the political climate but when I saw Ahmaud Aubrey's murder, that rocked me mm. hardcore because uh, much like Ahmad, I felt like, and I guess I'll talk about all three. So Ahmad was out for a run and he was chased down and murdered by three white men in a pickup truck, no less, um, in the South. So it had, mm. it had a certain weight, it had a certain, uh, grossness about it and it's i believe it was will smith who said that um 
you know, these things are new. Racism, these acts of hate and violence are new. We're just filming them now. Mm. And whoever, however that video leaked, I think it was a wake-up call for a lot of people. Like, wow, holy shit, this actually happened, right? Yeah. So there's that plus the time it took for the authorities to take any action against these white men. I mean, it had been three months. I didn't even hear about it. So I felt mm -hmm. sick about that. I felt sick that I didn't even know that no one cared. Mm. Um, it made me question a lot of um, the media itself and what they value and the stories they push because a lot of times if you consume your media through singular sources, you tend to uh, form your own echo chamber, your own uh, filter Absolutely. that can obscure other stories. So that was upsetting. And then Brianna Taylor happened. Mm -hmm. She was asleep in her home with her boyfriend. Uh, I believe she was 27, 26. Uh, I think 27. Um, it felt real. It felt like, mm. oh, holy shit. She's at home asleep. Mistaken identity. Um, mistaken identity is one of those things that happens all the time in very subtle mm -hmm. ways in my life. Mm -hmm. Hey, do I know you from somewhere? Have I seen you before? I'm like, no, no, I've never seen you before. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I'm thinking, nah, you know, you think black people mm -hmm. look alike. I get yep. it. Yep. Um, but no, <laughs> I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm not your Negro. I'm not the one you're looking mm -hmm. for right now. So that happened, right? They they show up, um, spray the house with bullets. She dies. Um, I'm not sure if they died, but I know she died. And um, just tragic, absolutely tragic. Mm -hmm. They haven't charged the officers yet. There's been no uh, repercussions for their misdeed um, for that murder. Mm -hmm. And so, are, that, you, are you following that just to um, see what's not what's... not super closely, but enough on the periphery mm -hmm. that I'm aware that charges have not been brought to her mm -hmm. killers yet, mm -hmm. at, at least at the time of this recording. Um, mm -hmm. So that happened, and and is still happening. So that weighs heavily on me. But then George Floyd happened. George Floyd's murder happened, I should say. And I remember, I don't remember where I was. I'm on the internet a lot, mm -hmm. um, just by nature of what I do. Of, of course. And I saw this video, at least the posting of this video. And my initial instinct was to just move on and not watch. Because why would I want to watch the murder of a man? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I'm glad that I reconsidered and that I did watch because it was horrific, absolutely mm -hmm. horrific. And the circumstances of his murder at uh, my distance and from my perspective seemed unjustified. It seemed like something that has happened to me on occasion many times. It's something that was horrific, that was certainly again from my point of view intentional deliberate and certainly there were many opportunities in those eight minutes and 46 seconds to take a different course of action but mm -hmm, the officer mm -hmm. relentlessly knelt on this man's neck until he died and yeah that and i would say the officers with the nest because the, the you know the on watcher on looking ones could have also intervened and said you know that the yeah. man is dying they just stood there pushed if him down if you're aware of something terrible happening and you do nothing, yes, you are, you are certainly complicit <clears throat> in your non-action or inaction, particularly as someone who's meant to serve and protect and... Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Totally you know, reversed, isn't it? Totally reversed, just, yeah. Just fucked up. I mean, mm -hmm. so I, I, 
I saw that and I was just shocked, absolutely shocked. So it was these three um, that culminated with George Floyd's murder. And now we have Rayshard Brooks that happened. Um, Granted, the circumstance is still a bit different, but I look at these instances and I think, is there no other way to handle these situations? A counterfeit bill, um, you know, a, a, a no-knock warrant served in the middle of the night to for Breonna Taylor that resulted mm-hmm. in her death. Oh, so and, so. And there have been there have been false arguments and comparisons drawn to. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a few, there's a, it's just a few bad apples, you know. Well, you mm-hmm. wouldn't you wouldn't. <laughs> I believe it was Chris Rock who gave this illustration. You know, you might have a fleet of pilots in an airline. And you go, well, there's a few bad pilots, but it's okay. We'll, we'll be fine, you know. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Let's just risk gonna, it, you know. Just, just it's an acceptable risk. There's, the a, yeah. there's a few bad apples in our fleet, but we're just going to roll. No, yeah. you do. It doesn't work. <laughs> because airlines business is tied to the success of these flights and the mm-hmm. training of their pilots, of course, and they're going to be scrutinizing about lives, their training right? and their their qualifications and reliability of the aircraft and the maintenance and all of these things to mitigate the chances that we have accidents and crashes. But for whatever reason, that same scrutiny is not afforded to police officers. And that is problematic. Let me jump back to the the action in government. And again, I don't know the specifics and details of the bills Mm -hmm. that have been proposed. However, I will say that to actually make change, and this is something I've learned in life, to grow, to change, to um, move past something, you have to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for legislators, lawmakers to propose something and acknowledge it, it's, it's going to take some political capital on their part because essentially you're, you're acknowledging that white supremacy in the United States is a thing, mm-hmm, that systematic mm-hmm. racism is a thing, that there are racist cops, right? And there's a political cost to that, and I think that some lawmakers are afraid to do that. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at the behavior of the president, for example, with regards to his base and current events. I believe it, it took him days to contact the family. Um, he had a, lo- a, a round table with law enforcement in the White House before he, and I'm not quite sure if he's met with leaders of these movements or any current uh, civil rights activists, but I think it would have been a better course of action personally to hear out um, these leaders and these people, these advocates that are fighting for change as opposed to, mm-hmm. um, you know, making time and giving an audience to uh, these quote unquote bad apples, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. these uh, mm-hmm. law enforcement uh, representatives. So I think, I think that's going to be one of the difficult things moving forward as we seek change is people acknowledging that there is a problem even. Because it's, it's an uncomfortable th- thought for them, at least for friends, for people I've interacted with, to hear that you might be racist. Um, it's not something people want to hear. It's not, at least, again, based on my experiences, it's, it's an uncomfortable thought. So, so we kind of talked about pre-George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, mm-hmm. Ahmaud, Aubrey. Um, we talked about how I felt during and, and just kind of how real that all made it. And and I was depressed for a while. I, as as a creative person, I couldn't quite focus. I couldn't mm. um, be present and interact with my audience in a way 
Um, so I, I chose to speak up. I, I, on my platforms, I historically have not been one to speak on political things mm -hmm. or um, I'll even avoid certain topics just mm -hmm. in interest of keeping things neutral. But I, I realized that I had an opportunity to speak my truth and share mm -hmm. my story mm -hmm. and, and do so at perhaps some risk um, of offending people. But I was impressed by Seth Rogen. I don't know if you saw his Instagram where um, people were like, hey, man, I can't believe you're supporting Black Lives Matter. And he would just be like, mm -hmm. fuck you. I don't need you yeah. as a fan. I don't need you as a fan. <laughs> Fuck off. And you just tell that wow. to everyone. And so he went through just hundreds of comments and it was just commenting. And so I just mm. decided to kind of take that approach, not so much, in, maybe not in as crass and direct a way, but more so, hey, you know, I'm going to speak my truth and this is my mm -hmm. life. I'm a black man yeah. in the United States and this is my experience. And yeah. so I started and speaking people up. need to hear that. I, I, I paid attention. I watched your videos and I, I heard you and I was glad that you were saying something because people need to hear it from the people who are deeply concerned and touched. And, you know, not to say that if you're not black, you're not deeply concerned and touched, but we relate on a different level, obviously. Yeah. So, so I tried to um, do that a bit more and it helped. I was, I was, I was angry. I was upset. I was feeling scared. Um, mm. I remember just not being able to look white people in the face for a bit. Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, ru I go running every morning. That's my, yeah. one of, one of my workouts anyways. Yeah. And for a while, yeah, I couldn't, I would just, avoid white people as much as I could because wow, I couldn't wow I couldn't bear the thought that I would offend someone enough to have someone like Amy Cooper call mm. cops and say there's an angry or there's a black man threatening me or whatever story they're going to make up I I had that fear um, wow you know even even just the trauma the the, the post-traumatic stress of uh, going through this, when I when I go for a run and I hear sounds, I am mm. worried that someone's behind me now trying to, you know, it, just images of Ahmaud Arbery come yeah, to mind. Yeah. It's and traumatizing. It's absolutely it traumatizing. traumatizing. It is. And that is, that is something I'm trying to help some people I know, like you do, you know, who are super conservative and, you know, white and are like, oh, you know, just kind of like, yeah get it but get over it kind of thing mm -hmm. i'm like no but wrong attitude you know look you know it's most people who have committed crimes are you know african-americans and you need to go look you need to look past the number and ask why why is there more of them even though it's a minority what's going mm -hmm. on in the communities well they have access to this and this and that what if they don't know they have access to that because nobody's telling them, you know, you, go, you have to ask the questions until you, you hit the, you know, the rock underneath everything that's, you know, messed up on top because it comes from somewhere. And yeah, and I think oftentimes when people have made those comparisons or, hey, they have opportunities too, it's like, well, no, actually what I'm, what you're saying is you had opportunities and you had uh, a clear path for education or you may have known about these things, but to your point, not a lot of our brothers and sisters know about these things. Um, they may not be educated. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at the communities and 
available resources, facilities, and so forth. Even, I mean, a good example is the educational system where the quality of education you're able to receive here in the United States is Depends on where you live. Yeah. Depends on where you live, depends on your mm -hmm. income. I'm fortunate mm -hmm. enough that I, I live in a good, quote unquote, good area. But mm -hmm. um, prior to, to living here, I lived in another area that was not as affluent. And the difference in schooling was uh, just mm -hmm. remarkable mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. to see the access to resources, how beautiful yep. the school is, yep. all your yep. teachers, all of these yep. things. Yep. Um, whereas not everyone that looks like me can live where I live. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's unfortunate that um, those resources are not afforded equally to all mm -hmm. people or equitably even to yeah. all people. And but to, to say that they need to help themselves first, I, I don't know what I think about that. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a common effort. And I don't think that these communities can help themselves on their own because the problem is just too deep, you know, that it's going to take more than that. It reminds me a bit of the Mormon mentality of welfare and how, I don't, I don't know if you experienced this all or, or benefited from the Mormon welfare system. Um, there have been Not times so in my much. life where I've used it, but there's almost a pay to play mentality in the sense that, okay, are you paying your tithing? Okay, we'll help you. If you're not paying, ah, uh, okay, well, I'm going to need you to do these 10 things <laughs> to mm, prove mm -hmm. to me that mm -hmm. you are basically worthy of our help. And mm -hmm. it, it always just rubbed me the wrong way. And I feel like um, Christianity as a whole is similar in the sense that uh, there's, there's almost a reluctance to help sometimes. Because if you're not one of our own, if you're not <laughs> one of our own, or, like these, or being judgmental, you know, these people should be helping themselves first before mm -hmm. we help them. You know, this is my money or my whatever. Mm -hmm, um, there's mm -hmm. certainly a uh, seems it just feels like a bit of selfishness when it comes to the abundance mm -hmm, that we have mm -hmm. in our ability to to really make a difference and help people, at least on a monetary level. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, again, it's it's a matter of what matters most. And, and I'm same with, you know, people, white people living in trailer park or whatever, like, I'm, I'm, I don't understand it. Uh, I guess it's something that's part of, you know, the culture here. And I say, well, they've chosen that life. And I just, I don't know, for me, it's weird, because I guess, again, I, I grew up in a socialist country, not to say that there isn't any poverty at all, but there is, there is no, not such extremes as, as I can see here. Like it, there is more, the middle is much so big, much bigger than the extremes on, on both sides, if that makes Meaning sense. Meaning extremely wealthy or extremely poor. Yeah, you don't have that as much. Um, but like education, let's take education is available for all. You know, it's, it's cheap, it's good, edu good education, very good even. Uh, not all equal, I would say, but available to all. Mm -hmm. And you're not indebted when you come out of, you know, uh, university or whatnot. Like, you know, all of that is creates a, a little bit sturdier society, you know, with less inequality, less haves and haves not, which at the end of the day, that's what creates the conflicts and the problem, the have nots that are staying down. And, you know, and, and here it happens a lot with the African-American community, unfortunately. Absolutely. And, and and the Native Indians also, like I have to bring them on because it's it's true that, you know, it, it's not that it's just like people have issues with Black Lives Matter because it's like all life matters and other people struggle and these people have a harder time. And 
I believe that if people pay attention to the movement Black Lives Matter, everyone else, every other minority will benefit because I the agree. laws are not going to be just for black, you know, black minorities. It's going to be for all minorities. If, if things change, it's going to benefit everyone. Yeah, I was, uh, I'm not sure if I was listening to reading, but um, don't quote me on this, but from, mm-hmm. from my understanding was that among Native American populations as well, this this policing is a problem. This violent mm-hmm, policing mm-hmm. is a problem. So it's it's mm-hmm. really not just black people. I think yes, the yeah. fact that you know, unfortunately, George Floyd lost his life as a result of excessive force by the police and was murdered. But I am grateful that so many people are now awake to the realities of the horror <laughs> that. I've existed in for mm-hmm, so long, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, silently, uh, patiently waiting and certainly trying to live within the system. But these are these are anxieties, fears and things that I've had to live with for years now. And mm. I'm grateful that more people are seeing that. Yes, so yes. at the same time, you know, you mentioned a few things um, about maybe things cooling off a bit. I'm I'm certainly aware of and granted the time of recording here, we're we're probably one a month out or so. I don't remember the exact date, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. probably more than a month. And I definitely feel a shift in energy with regards to mm-hmm. all of it. And I, I wonder and hope sometimes that I'm not becoming complacent because I don't want yes. to lose the energy of this yes. movement. I don't want it to yeah. be a moment. The push, the push needs to continue. The, the momentum needs. and the push needs to continue until things actually change. Um, People have been pretty vocal around here and, and are doing things and moving. Like I have friends that I would not have thought went to, you know, protest and whatnot to show their support where they stand. And to me, that means a lot. It, you know, anytime someone even says something, I know it's easy to be like a social media soldier or whatever, but it's still something because people are going to read you and hear you. And if you want to, Say if you saying something is better than saying nothing to me, in my opinion. Yes, I I have been also very careful about COVID and my exposure and just trying to be uh, healthy for Mm -hmm, for the benefit mm -hmm. of my children. Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. as a single parent full time, I can't really afford to not be there. Yes, yes, put my health at risk. So that's one. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other is I live in a predominantly white um, mm-hmm. area. <laughs> I'm, I'm an extreme minority, so I have has or have had hesitations about actively and visibly participating in protests yeah. because of um, not so much because of perceptions, but more so identification and threats. There's a another person in my neighborhood uh, who is a uh let's say big trump supporter yes i saw Um, you told me about the window (laughs) yeah yeah has that window and you told me about that thing it makes me makes me a little nervous it makes me a little Mm. nervous so i try to be careful Mm. i finally put up a black lives matter um thing in my window Mm -hmm, i have a large mm -hmm. window in my in my my home so i finally Mm -hmm. put that up but that's that's my way of expressing um, it's good but also yeah i I think it's a good thing I do believe in telling my story as well. And, you know, mm-hmm. the videos I've done, the conversations I've had have been, I think, my contribution. Mm-hmm. And, and using my platform uh, yes. to speak up and to uh, tell my stories. That's been, yeah. that's been my way of doing it. 
Yeah, and I appreciate that. I appreciate anyone who, you know, um, shows that they care, basically, however you want to do it. I was saying, you know, if, if changes come, it will benefit everyone. Yes, minorities, but more than minorities, it will really benefit everyone because who wants to live in a society where there's constant conflict and tension and, you know, uh, divisiveness? Like, I don't know, who wants to live in a society like that, you know? So do what it takes. I really liked your your analogy of the the comfort blanket made of the oppression of others, you know? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and to me... And again, this duality, this, you know, this partisanship, like that's so ingrained to me, sometimes it's hard to, to have hope as long as the system is the way it is, because it, it is made to pit one against the other. And each time one wins, the other is just pissed for the whole time. The, the one is, you know, in and they, they do everything not to help each other. And so it's, unless it comes from really the ground, which is a possibility, you know, and I think a lot of things do come from there. Yeah. Uh, grassroots and, and people wanting to change the status quo or going a different direction, uh, regardless of what, you know, the government is uh, doing. Um, so that's, I think, where the hope is. I have to find ways to be hopeful <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because of my children. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So... I <clears throat> Yeah, I think I think being a parent gives you a, a certainly different perspective on on life and the things you hope for and um, how optimistic you can be versus yeah. pra pragmatic. But I still hope. I hope for a better future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, as as a designer, um, when it, and and that's that's just how I see the world. But mm -hmm. I I would hope to see a lot of dismantling and uh, exposition and thoughtful consideration of building something new um, rather than holding on to the systems and constructs we currently have just a willingness to try something different and mm. um, what would that entail like how do you envision that I I would love to see an openness to things like community policing to uh, I, like for example I, I have police officers patrolling my my city here i live mm -hmm. in a more affluent area and i'm not sure why we have our own police force but we do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there are times when i wonder okay what are, what are you guys actually doing you know i look at the streets and mm -hmm. um, nothing's happening nothing's really happening but even mm -hmm. the infrastructure around uh, this particular town is not what i would consider to be representative of my tax dollars and how much i actually mm. pay into the system so I'd, i would love to see uh, a different allocation of resources to perhaps um, bolster even neighborhood watch programs or perhaps have some community representatives. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, the types of crime here don't require, at least as far as I know, <laughs> require mm -hmm, mm -hmm, a militarized police force, but that is what we have. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So it sounds radical to defund police departments and reallocate those funds. It's, I think it's an appropriate word choice because it's provocative. It makes people react. Yeah, stop and um, think. Yeah. But it also, it's also important, important to say to people who don't think deeper that it doesn't mean like, you know, decreasing of, their salary. Yeah. Or they, no, just limit their responsibility, which they, they have themselves asked, like they don't want to have all the responsibilities that, 
you know, are put on them. Some of them are like, we would, you know, we'd like to have less social worker or mental health places to take care of, you know, the homeless or th- these things like that, you know, like. Yeah, absolutely. There, 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 oh. there are plenty of, uh, of. But I do, I do feel as though there could be some uh, shifting of resources. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the law enforcement system here seems to be largely fear-based more so than outcome-based. Um, mm. And I, I would love to see even things like, hey, what if there were more police officers, but they didn't all have these big-ass trucks well, they do here in my neighborhood um, mm. <laughs> with all this equipment and gear. What if there was a police officer who would patrol the neighborhoods by foot um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, or scooter mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm, get mm-hmm. to know looking, the neighbors. Looking, looking a little friendlier. That would be interesting. The, yeah. That would be, that would be interesting. <laughs> there you go. And, Hello, and, and Mr. Cost, Eugene. And, good to see you. Ah, good to see you too. I would feel like and, at least and, I had some yeah. relationship with them. Yeah. And cost effective. Yeah, I agree. I agree that there is other ways to rethink how, how things are done, you know, and make it better. So yeah. th- that's that's what I'm referring to is I mean I would I would say even going as far as blowing up the not literally blowing up a police No department, I mean but, dismantling, uh, dis- dismantling and yeah. then saying okay now that we've dismantled this what what does this look like for our mm-hmm. community moving forward mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. works for you our citizens mm-hmm. okay from our from our uh, lawmaking yep. perspective here's what we would like to see come yep. to some place of consensus with the community so that yep. we feel invested in that policing i think systematically as well i would love to see and i'm seeing it more and more now uh white people open to dialogue and discourse Mm -hmm, and being mm -hmm. uh awakened to their state Mm -hmm, of privilege mm -hmm, which we've been mm -hmm, saying for years and years and years um that's been encouraging to see and i would love to continue seeing people not self-flagellate themselves over history so much or be overly apologetic but actually just listen you know mm-hmm. don't dismiss don't mm-hmm. uh say well that's not my experience or mm-hmm. i'm not a racist <laughs> just mm-hmm. just listen mm-hmm. just listen mm-hmm. to these stories and develop mm-hmm. some empathy yeah, um, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm encouraged. I, think that's, I think that would be the number one thing because you know what the more people listen and develop empathy and realize that they're living with a traumatized people like really they're living with a traumatized people generationally mm-hmm. and and stop dismissing you know their, their experience and saying oh you know get over it and this and that and try to understand that that's what really upsets me is when you can't relate to something like you know it's, it's like me saying to the veterans you know we know you've been to war now you, you know stop you know having these nightmares and being you know so sensitive you know no yeah. you weren't there to see all these people die and and what it caused to the psychic and whatnot or to hear the stories because it's not that far away and people are always like oh you know when are we oh when are they going to let it go when they are ready to when they're ready to and when things are are set straight you know that's when (laughs) i I should add that it's not just uh white people too some some black people uh question even (laughs) whether a lot of these things are issues and whether we should care um Mm -hmm. So that, that probably idea. because probably because they're unaffected because I w- I doubt that it's something yes, from, yes, from you know s- struggling in a ghetto that would be uh, not interested in in you know I, what's going on. I won't name names, but I have uh, family <laughs> mem- family members who uh, yeah disagree with, with mm. my perspective because I'm sure. their, their lived experiences uh, is different than than mine. Mm. 
-hmm. and so their perceptions are different and all that um yeah but i i would hope that moving forward we as a society realize that we're all connected we can't Mm -hmm. uh change alone and it's going to take people listening uh people turning their privilege to power Mm -hmm. help make this change and so it's it's been really cool to see uh white people others step up and say enough enough is enough like this is not cool Um, it's tragic that it's taken so many murders so many Mm. injustices to uh wake people up Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. i'm also encouraged and hopeful that that this change will be lasting that that we have some momentum here yes yes well i'm gonna be i'm gonna do my best to keep to to push that momentum and to keep it alive um you know until real changes are are happening so yeah like i said we we have our means we have our ways to do that and i think even if you feel like hey i'm not comfortable going to a protest you know speak your truth to power tell your stories um if you're wanting to be an ally just listen Uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. don't don't assume just listen yes Uh, yes be curious ask questions Mm -hmm. and listen and then listen so thank you i think this is a great uh place to to end um i hope that we will have more of these conversations um i'm sure you know because there are there are still topics that um, I think it would be interesting to, to have your perspective on. So I'll, yeah, I would, I would be absolutely happy to. Awesome. 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 <laughs> okay. <take laughs> All <care>. right. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Thank you again for joining the Face Transition Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I was very grateful to Spencer to join me on the show. I wanted to share with you a quote from John Robert Lewis, the civil rights uh, movement leader who recently passed away, who um, was you know, a House of Representative for, for Georgia. He accomplished as you know a lot of things to move forward the the civil the civil rights movements and and have uh, laws passed to improve you know the situation for african americans it says you must also study and learn the lessons of history because humanity has been involved in this soul-wrenching existential struggle for a very long time People on every continent have stood in your shoes through decades and centuries before you. The truth does not change, and that is why the answers worked out long ago can help you find solutions to the challenges of our time. Continue to build union between movements stretching across the globe because we must put away our willingness to profit from the exploitation of others. Again, if you enjoy the podcast, I would appreciate um, to hear from you on iTunes. Uh, you can leave a comments, you can leave your questions, uh, you can leave a review, and you can also reach me on Facebook Messenger or any other platforms where you can find me. And this is Juliana, 
You've listened to the Face Transition Podcast, and I will see you next time.